You're listening to Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one show featuring the brightest minds in marketing, PR, and digital advertising. Welcome to another episode of Marketing News Canada. I am thrilled to introduce you to Riaz Menji, who is a human connection expert and author of the book, Every Conversation Counts, The Five Habits of Human Connection That Build Extraordinary Relationships. His insights have been featured in Fast Company, Harvard Business Review, and Financial Post. He is also an accomplished broadcaster with 17 years of television hosting experience. He has interviewed experts on current affairs, sports, entertainment, politics, and business. Also, you might have seen him on such shows as City TV's Breakfast Television, MTV Canada, seen him at TEDx Vancouver, CTV News, and the Toronto International Film Festival. He's a natural storyteller with proven ability to conduct engaging, in-depth conversations across various disciplines. Riaz, thank you for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. Long time. No, I haven't it, seen you in person in years, but hey, I'll take this any day of the week. Nice to see you. No, it's great. It's very special. Very special that we get to host you on the show today. And for the few people that maybe haven't heard of the book or, or haven't read it yet, maybe give a summary of, of this book and what it's meant to you and maybe what you're hearing from readers that are reading it. Yeah, thank you. This book, this whole project and message was really an attempt to overcome this challenge of loneliness and isolation. And after almost two decades of interviewing people for a living and kind of studying human behavior and the science and neuroscience of human connection, for me, I wanted to create a practical tool that would help people not only just show up in spaces, whether it was virtual or in person, but become more intentional with how they reach out, how they connect, how they listen, how they build relationships and just live a higher quality of life. And I mean, this impacts people on a personal level, but also, I mean, as we all see in the workplace now in a hybrid reality, what we can do more professionally to collaborate in just bigger ways. So I wanted to create a humanizing piece for people to open up more deeper, meaningful conversations. That's incredible. And, and maybe some of the feedback you're getting, I don't know if people send fan mail or fan email or, or, or DMs or what, what does that look like to you from readers? Yeah, most of the fan mails from family saying, yeah, I yeah. got it. And it was a freebie because they didn't want to pay for it. Yeah. Gotta love family. Mm-hmm. Gotta love family. What I've found is most rewarding. And this is a trap that I got stuck in because this was the first book I had ever written. It's nerve wracking. And I've met so many authors, future authors that are going through this process too, where I thought, how many books can I sell? That is the metric for success. But I realized, I'm like, that is all ego in this process. And when somebody would ask, how many books have you sold? And then I think, oh, it has to be a certain number. Now the big question is, and I appreciate you saying what the feedback is, is how many lives have you changed from this? That is the payoff. And to know this book has reached a global audience, and sometimes I'll get a a random email. I got a random email from a librarian in Australia saying, hey, our library carried this book. I thought the title looked intriguing. I read it. I'm a huge introvert, and I really struggled. I struggled with the idea of leaning in and, and into conversations, and now I feel I have the confidence just to show up in bigger ways, especially when people need it most. And that unsolicited feedback from a stranger that feels comfortable enough to reach out and then I will respond to all of that. And then they're surprised they get a response. To me, I'm like, that's what it's about, where you can shift the life of a complete stranger that was interested or curious about this topic. Because I think human connection, regardless if if we're talking marketing, if we're talking construction, regardless of industry, it's there. We need it. And it can make a profound difference wherever you are in your life. 
Amazing. So there's uh, semantics in marketing and kind of advertising where you know you think of advertising, you think of ads and big ads and ads that run and you know shout out a brand and, and there's branding and the brand awareness and then there's marketing. And in today's age, there's digital marketing and social media marketing and all sorts of different types of marketing. But so much of today's marketing has turned into conversations, whether it's Facebook chats or comment threads or, you know, conversations that get sparked because they're addressing a real life issue. Why don't you tell me about what that means for brands today that are looking to have conversations with their existing consumers and their potential consumers? Yeah, I think there's a huge opportunity for human connection to allow companies to stand out in profound ways now by just keeping the message human. I mean, there's such a fine line with talking at someone as opposed to talking with someone. And if you're going to talk with them, leading with that empathetic curiosity so that audience knows they understand what I am going through. This isn't the product push. This is the intentional understanding of what the new reality is. And I found pre-pandemic, and I don't even know if we can say post-pandemic because we're still working through this thing, but the hierarchy of needs have just changed. We're... People are multitasking. People are moving at crazy paces. People are craving flexibility. So how can whatever it is that your message is, your product is, how can it just speak to people on a human level where they'll say, they understand me? Because I don't believe we can connect, motivate, or influence anybody unless we truly, truly understand them first. So I think it's asking more questions and the power of our questions, the quality of our questions will determine the depth of our connections that will fuel powerful marketing now and in the future. Founder of Hootsuite, Ryan Holmes, says this about your book, a definitive playbook to make deeper human connections, collaborate effectively, and thrive in the virtual world. So when you're speaking right now to to CMOs that manage teams, to marketing directors, to agency owners, to agency managers, how can this book be relevant to them today? I think the biggest thing is how CMOs can outcare their competition. And that competition might be a different company trying to recruit your talent. So how do you foster and cultivate a culture of loyalty? That could be, how does our message or product stand out from the competitors out there? The questions we ask are number one of that understanding piece to understand, I'm a firm believer, especially after doing interviews for 20 years, that there's three questions we all ask ourselves the first time we meet somebody. And it's, do you care about me? Are you listening to me? And can I trust you? And if we're tapping into those three questions where somebody could understand, oh, okay, Darian's in my corner. He understands what I'm about. He's actually listening to what I'm saying. This wasn't a pre-prepared script. He's diving into the pain. And this story he's building is around my narrative where I can be the hero in his story that he's talking about. Yes, I want to learn more. And I think that is big, prioritizing the connection piece for a CMO and I think about what we do with our teams and look at the example of virtual. Today, we're able to record this podcast virtually, which is amazing. You know, you put all the tools together, you put a high production piece and virtual has created this opportunity for leaders, whether it's a CMO or any leader, to have a space where it's economical, it's accessible, it's efficient. But sometimes within our teams, if we want to outcare our competition with fostering powerful and connected cultures, efficiency is great, but efficiency can be the enemy of human connection because we move too fast. So if you're a CMO or you're a leader, how can you care about your staff, not only financially, but physically and emotionally? And I believe leaders have now become not only managers of responsibilities of their own and their team, but managers of energy. 
And that is so specific of what people are going through. And that takes a great deal of energy on the part of the leader, the higher up you go to understand where is your team at? What do they need? Where have they been? Where do they want to go? And that takes intention. That takes energy and effort to truly stand out from the rest. And I'll say this as someone who works within the agency environment and been on the brand side, human resources, the resource of people is everything we have in marketing and advertising. The creatives, how are they feeling emotionally? The people doing the work, the people coming up with ideas, the people account managing. And so why don't you cover those? Give me those three questions. Give me, let's, let's get right into it. The three questions and the things that people could be doing to be a better leader in their organization right now. Yeah. If there's the first encounter yeah, and a, a lot of them, you know, people have been virtually onboarded and you're meeting them in person and you're trying to build this trust and dynamic. The three questions I've observed is, do you care about me? Yeah. And we talk about these touch points of understanding, hey, what do people need? If we're onboarding them, could we put a buddy beside them, a peer onboarding, as well as the curriculum that an organization could give so they could understand, hey, I'm in this with somebody else. Are you listening to me? You know, we could come up with an agenda of here's what you need to know to thrive in this organization or ask them, what do you think we could do to thrive in this organization and respect that diversity of perspective? And that takes intentional listening. And sometimes when we're moving so fast, things could get overlooked. And if you're new and think, hey, nobody's listening to this, nobody's willing to change, we're going to miss out. And this notion of trust, which I believe is one of the most important pillars right now and in the future it will be because the hybrid reality is not going anywhere. How do we create a sense of psychological safety? And if you're the CMO on the call, what can you do to go first and share a piece of your humanity to, so I could say, hey, I, I'm going to give you a piece of me, Darian. I'm going to trust you. And after time, you may not be willing to exchange that right away, but after time, you'll think, well, Riaz is giving me all of them. There's an authentic component here. There's a vulnerable component here. After time, that trust will be built where people will feel that they can speak up without fear of being reprimanded or judged. And it's a safe space to truly collaborate. Riaz, I wish I could be a fly in the wall during all these times. And, and it's kind of sad in a lot of ways. The, the ways that bad firing, people letting go of employees, it's been all over the news. And, and that's the sad part is those are the things that blow up is people doing it poorly. And knowing your book and, and knowing the stuff you're talking about in the book, it's like, if they had only, I don't know if, you're, if only they had read my book when you are communicating to people, like there's just some really basic things you can do. And, and again, with recent news about CTV and, and what happened at CTV, but just again, if they had read the book to say, hey, you know, conversations matter. And, and maybe mm. I don't want to dive into the negative side of things, but, and so I'm going to flip it around and say, why now more than ever? Why now in 2022, when we are souped up tech-wise, souped up communication-wise, we've got, we got text, we've got messenger, we've got you name it, everything under the sun. Why do conversations matter now? All of those examples you just shared are showing how efficient we can be. I think about where, where this all started with the touch points. Okay, why does this matter in the grand scheme of things? Yeah. There was a stat that I found for, for those that love their stats to you know prove the arguments. I'll give this to you. That when I saw this, I recognized we had a huge problem, not only personally, but professionally. And Cigna, the US Health Index, they did a loneliness index a couple of years back and found companies were losing $154 billion, billion dollars annually because of loneliness. And it was due to lost productivity and stress-related absenteeism. 
That was from a couple of years ago. So you can wow. imagine through this transition we've been through and how isolated people are becoming. And you think about how we live our daily lives. Hey, I, I got to go to the bank. I'm going to use the ATM. I'm going to travel. I'm not going to talk to the attendant. I'm just going to use the kiosk. Are you going to order some food? Let's do DoorDash. It's contactless delivery. We're not talking to anybody. No. So when it comes down to these difficult conversations and you've given the example of bad firings, we get so in our heads of how difficult it is and anxious and the social anxiety takes over that cultures of avoidance become a big problem. Like another key stat, Vital Smarts, the leadership training company, found that one in four leaders avoids difficult conversations for up to six months. One in 10, up to two years. So what that does is create cultures of avoidance. And we all know difficult conversations can be uncomfortable, but avoiding them is so much worse. And when people talk about this overarching theme of the great resignation, I challenge that notion and I say, is that the resignation the problem or is, the, is it the underlying cause of the great disconnection? So how do we avoid these challenges of difficult conversations or bad firings? It's consistent communication. And having the courage to one, ask for help or having the courage to lean in and provide somebody productive and constructive feedback. And how we do that is relationship first, logic second. And leading with a sense of discovery before we dismiss somebody. And I think this is so important for leaders, especially CMOs, to have a sense of assertive empathy to ask these questions of, Darian, like, how, how do you feel this is going right now? Yeah. Like, what do you feel is just not happening for you now? What would it take to make it happen? And leading with the curiosity piece, you know, if we could replace criticism with curiosity and do that consistently, yeah. there are no surprises. There are no bad firings because if somebody doesn't want to show up and we've given them the opportunity, we've yeah. challenged them as a coach and they're not responding, there's no surprise. Yeah. But I mean, you bring in that CTV example, it sounds like there was a great element of surprise. And when these stories come out in the media, they're obviously tricky because we only know one side of the story and the big network is holding back on what was going on behind the scenes. For leaders, we take it down to a day-to-day -day level. It's just how do we show up with assertive empathy on a consistent basis and ask more questions? It's amazing. There was a recent article that went out. Someone had brought a tape recorder, their iPhone, into the executive leadership of the CTV offices and, and hmm. recorded it. And then the transcription got published in an article of how they dealt with it. And they said, anyone can ask questions. And so they asked all these questions and it was just, the response was just so awkward. It was so cringy. I, I wasn't even hmm. listening to it, but just reading the transcripts, it was, man, I wish they had read your book. It reminds me of, I shared a room with my brother for a while. We had a bunk bed. And I remember one time we were kicking a ball around in the room. We hit the curtain at our window and there was this explosion and the smell that was horrible. And we realized he had left a half drinking cup of milk behind the curtain because he was in the upper bunk and it sat there for months. And so when you let mm. things sit, it, it just festers and it molds and it just gets worse than if you'd taken it out a week after or two weeks after, right? <laughs> I love this example. We don't want moldy conversations. No. Like that is, that's going to sabotage our relationships. Yeah, it, it just, I feel like, why don't we have these conversations? And some, some people sometimes say to me, Darian, they're like, well, what is meaningful human connection? Mm -hmm. And it's, to me, powerful interactions that are going to amplify, one, a sense of belonging, but two, emotional safety. Yeah. And if you're consistently checking in on me where I can trust, hey, Darian's not calling me out. Yeah. He's calling me up. That's a profound difference in leadership. That's a profound difference in marketing. Yeah. Like 
that consistent intention, people know it, they feel it, and they'll respond to it, uh, good or bad, depending on how we show up for them. So as an employee, and I'm going to get asked two-part question here, in the job interview, could I ask, first of all, hey, can I see a copy of your yearly review or, or three-month review standards? Because right? it'd be interesting if the, if the company has that on hand. And secondly, when you went through that, just as an employee, when you went through kind of your yearly review or quarterly review, did you feel like you were listened to or do you feel like that was relevant? And, and what could they have done better? Mm. On the broadcast side of things, I always had an appetite for more. I mean, when I worked in broadcast, I found the HR side was lacking a lot for what I was looking for. And I'll give you an example of Breakfast Television Vancouver for almost 11 years. I had a great manager, Manuel Fonseca. And I will shout him out because he was a champion of outcaring the competition. He knew me on a personal level. He cared about me outside of work. And he was a champion of the idea of hiring people that were smarter than him. And I saw how he surrounded himself, that he was never insecure about being replaced. His focus was about making everybody around him better, which was awesome. For me, the challenge was, what does growth look like here? And that was the great challenge I had. And I also had the fortune of working on the Rogers leadership team for their leadership conferences and see what they were doing on a corporate side. So I found it was two different worlds where I, I, I wished we had more systems in place on the broadcast side to develop talent, that it wasn't just you're on camera, but there's a great leadership role and responsibility to say, if you are a presenter on camera, you're also an ambassador in the community. You're also a leader in these team meetings of how you contribute, how you lift up and mentor younger talent. And I would have loved to see more systems, but it was also a motivating factor to say, well, how could I be part of the solution? And then I was just documenting ideas, much like I'm sure you do on the podcast, of people giving you ideas where you get to listen to expertise in so many different niches and then create a tool that could help. And that's yeah. essentially one of the biggest driving factors of the book of helping people professionally or personally, regardless of if you have a system or not, if you want to have more meaningful conversations and develop cohesiveness in your teams, this was a tool in this book that, that could serve that. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Amazing. I wonder if it exists out there, and I, I've searched this actually, but like the perfect staff review or the perfect quarterly review document or the perfect yearly review for agency owners and you know people running marketing teams, because that would be a great resource. Because if that's everything to them, their human resource, uh, that review doc, that it, it almost goes two ways as well. Like how do you listen mm -hmm. during review and also give, like what you said, positive feedback to make them a better person? Yeah, I think a foundational document or piece is essential. Yeah. But I also think 
I remember talking to Ron McLean from yeah. Hockey Night in Canada yeah. about this, about, you know, the best question to ask in any situation. And we got into this deep dive that there truly is no one size fits all when it comes to these meaningful conversations. It's reading the cues of one, what the priorities are for every organization, which will vary. Uh, two, what the needs are for the leader, for the employee, which will vary. Mm -hmm. But having a foundational piece navigating positive conversations, more difficult, more constructive conversations, I think would be very helpful so people know they're on the right track and they're not demoralizing employees. They're not calling them out, but they're like we mentioned before, they're calling them up instead. Yeah. So, Riaz, you, your time these days, you, you're speaking, you're coaching. Is there another book in the works? Are you, are you, is there something on the back burner just kind of stewing away, cooking away there that, that, that we can look forward to? <laughs> yeah, I would love to write a second book. Okay. Right now, what I find really fascinating is listening to leaders of where they're at. Because yeah. what's happening is, especially going into the fall of 2022, yep. and we're recording this September 2022, full, yeah. full disclosure, whoever's listening yeah. to this and whenever you're listening to this, leaders are coming together for the first time in person for their events. And this is an exciting, exciting moment. And in all of the discovery calls, before I, I agree to speak with or for anyone, my goal is to truly understand, does this message fit for their yeah. priority? Do I believe I can give value and serve them? And understanding where they're at. And the second book, to me, I would love to do a deep dive on empathetic curiosity. Mm. Wow, And I believe what empathetic curiosity can unlock with one another, regardless of industry, regardless of marketing mm -hmm. message, yeah. can unlock such deeper, deeper connection and the powerful questions to achieve that because leaders are sharing much more vulnerable pieces of themselves given what we've all been through. And I don't think it was like that before. Human connection was an afterthought for a lot of leaders, a lot of companies pre-pandemic. So I hope coming out of this, we stay in this humanized space where we're willing to share more. We're willing to give more of ourselves. I still think that Dove was ahead of their times with the ads that they would create and the emotional strings that they would pull because we saw ourselves. Yeah. And I want to see more of that. Yeah. I, I, you know, the entertainment value you'd see through traditional Super Bowl ads fantastic. Keep that going. But the more humanized aspects and the storytelling that we could see through marketing and our messages, I hope that that's a direction we go to work through the pain and understand these transformative moments that will have a message, just be more impactful. So second book in the next couple of years that I'll probably start working on is taking everything I've heard and learned from, from leaders and how empathetic curiosity could serve them. You know what I'd love if you did this. I'm gonna and I'm just planting the seed for you, Riaz. Of hit me. Yeah. Um, okay, I'm gonna hit you with this because you know you, you've been hanging out with like Jim Trevilling, eating Boston pizza. You go for Boston pizza with Jim. <laughs> you know, talking about <laughs> whatever. You know, the, the people you've spent time with is really impressive. So I would love to see like call it like almost like a flip book, like a far side thing, like not something you put in your bathroom, but like something that's like the top three questions that each of these leaders ask. Mm. And then they get like three lines to talk. So it's almost like you're not writing the book, but you are a uh, editor, a facilitator. What, what do you call someone who gathers all these things? But like a resource. Moderator. Like, yeah. Moderator. Facilitator, like a, reporter. Yeah. yeah. That would be a dope, because that would be a neat book to be like three questions that helps you in your life or three questions that were like, 
really awesome. Because I love that question of like, what are the best questions you love to ask, right? I had a, a mentor growing up, Larry Nelson, that would always, he was always wrestling with and, and he, he would find books and resources on like, these are the best questions to ask, right? When you're mentoring someone. And, and they mm. would change though, right? And I realized, like you had said, different situations, different people, different times, different eras. But it would be interesting to see a collection of questions. Yeah. You know what I thought about doing too? I've seen, I mean, Cards of Humanity. Yes. That's a spicy adventure if, yes. if you get to play. Yeah. But creating a game, a team building yeah. uh, exercise through through the cards. Yeah. And maybe it wasn't a book, but it was something leaders could do with their teams or even people could do with their loved ones yeah. of asking these types of questions that unlock stories. And one of the inspirations, Arthur Aron. Are you familiar with Arthur Aron's no. work? No. So his work, I believe this came out in the 80s, the 36 questions you can ask to fall in love. And the New York Times documented these three tiers of questions that you could ask a complete stranger. And within these three tiers, it would elevate the sense of intimacy with that person. So after the 36, you would know them on such a deeper level. And I remember looking at these questions and thinking, yes, these are questions that provoke positive emotion, that elicit memorable storytelling. And I thought, yeah, maybe the second follow-up to this book isn't a book, but it's a tool with these types of questions, especially now that we're in this era, we've all kind of been through something where uncertainty was our universal commonality and, and driving and making it fun where the uh, agenda for a company retreat or a team building retreat goes out the window yeah. and it could be the two, three, how many of us are on this team yeah. are having a deep dive conversation the entire day about yeah. who we are as human beings and what we truly, truly care about at our core. Amazing. This, uh, this Kickstarter by some local uh, Vancouverites made one, I, and I can't remember the name of it. Something about cards for masculinity or something like this, but it was cards that you can go through, questions to ask your teenage son or, or a teenager, mm. teenage boy in your life that you could ask him about what does masculinity mean to you and, and just breaking some of the misconceptions. And it was amazing. So I, I remember I got the deck in my house. I, you know, we went through it. And I remember my son was kind of like, it was a little bit awkward at first, but then really got into it. Like, these are cool questions. Like, so questions you don't normally yeah. ask. And it was a helpful deck to actually go through. And the hard questions and, and interesting questions, questions you don't normally ask in day-to-day life. So good to have that prompt, create a, a game, something to look yeah. forward to with this aspect. Yeah, to be continued, to be yeah. continued. And I appreciate the suggestion on it because it's a creative process. And I will shout out every author out there, whether you've written one book or 10 books, it is a process yeah. of such a deep dive where I have nothing but respect for the craft for people that spend the time and, and, and put together something of value. Yeah. Well, you know, it's been great. I, I love how you've taken nuggets of your book and published in Harvard and, and other places that have published pieces that are kind of bite-sized portions. So we'll put a few links to those in the show notes as well for those that want to read kind of the article version of your book. But again, you want to read the full book. These are like a amuse-bouche, <laughs> the amuse-bouche to your book. <laughs> Thank you, man. Thank you. So Riaz, you of all people, I think I'm really excited about this portion of our podcast interview, which is the rapid fire questions. You feeling ready? Oh, Okay. Let's do this. Let's do this here. What was your first ever job? First ever job. Aside from delivering newspapers, I would say first committed job was Icicle Seafoods, summer job, full overalls, fishnet was on, and I was cutting off fish heads in a factory. Amazing. Amazing. It it took about a year to get the smell out, but hey, I learned the value of a dollar thanks to Mama Megji who hooked me up with that job. Perfect. Night owl or early bird? Oh, a bit of both. 
Okay, doing okay. the morning show for yeah. 10 years yeah. was an early bird, but yeah. ever since switching over, yeah. now night owl. Okay. I, will, I will work till, well, I'm a parent now, so night owl is like 9.30. That's yeah. late. That's oh, yeah. late. You ever do the uh, put Nico to bed and you just fall asleep with Nico? As you're, and oh. then you, yeah. I think <laughs> you, every you know parent's done that. Yeah, well, we just switched him out of a crib to his big yeah, boy yeah, bed. Yeah, and yeah. I tell my wife, I, I love bedtime, but I'm like, I keep falling asleep. Yeah. So then I'm wide awake after. Yeah. So hence the night owl working yeah. hours. So mm -hmm. yeah, we're we're in that transition. So any tips you have to keep him in his oh. bed, in his big boy bed, I'm all ears. Last night it was an hour of him coming out. So I'm like, we could lock it. We do have a lock down there, but he gets really sad when you lock his bed because he's just starting to use the bathroom. Because <laughs> then he's like, How will I go and use the bathroom if you lock it? And so yeah, I've got yeah. nothing for you, man. They're too I, smart. No, they're way too smart. And those night naps, I think, are interesting, right? It's like you're reading together and you fall asleep and then you wake up and you're like, man, I got a whole night ahead of me here. So there's some perks to it. Just enjoy <laughs> no. it. Just enjoy it. Yeah. I'll soak it up. Yeah, perfect. Are you a cat or a dog person? Both. We've got a, a rescue dog from Qatar, Norman, yeah. and a rescue cat from BCSPCA, uh, Nala. So they coexist. Yeah. They cohabitate. Yeah. But it's good. Yeah, we, we've got a good fur family going here. It's awesome. Dark or milk chocolate? Oh, okay. None of the above right now. I'm yeah. doing this eating uh, eating plan, yeah. uh, ideal protein to try and stay on the healthy tip. So yeah. I, try, I, I try to not put myself in compromising positions. If yeah. it was in front of me... Yeah. I think I go milk chocolate. I nice. think I would crumble, but yeah. I'm trying to stay away. So if you see yeah. me on the street, please yeah. yes. <laughs> keep your chocolate to yourself. Will do. <laughs> Favorite word right now? Favorite word? Oh, that's interesting. Hmm. You know what I would say? I would say reflective. As, as I said, we're doing this summer 2020, we're recording this summer, September 2022. Yep. Reflective has been the word that I've used for, for this past summer of a lot of changes in our family. Yep. I've been in a really reflective mood of what life is. And maybe we, I mean, we all have, haven't gone through this pandemic to be quite honest, right? I found like everyone I talked to has been in, in kind of like somewhat of a state of grief over the loss of the way we used to live our lives yeah. and reflecting on what matters most. And what do we want to go after? So I think uh, reflective is the word that speaks to me right now. That's awesome. What is the last charity you supported financially or with your time and why? Oh, Canuck Place Children's Hospice. Amazing. Hands down. There's, there's two great charities that I love to support, Canuck Place Children's Hospice and Covenant House. I think with Canuck Place, the work they do to support parents who have faced the unimaginable circumstance of having lost a child it is simply incredible of how they lift them up and motivate communities to support and just be there for one another in dark times as opposed to leaning back. Instead, leaning in, having these conversations. I think we're afraid to trigger one another sometimes. So kudos to them. Their entire crew moves my heart year in, year out. And Covenant House, I mean, to see what they've done to give people a second chance. I didn't know much about them, but for the last decade, myself and a business partner of mine, Jason Sarai, we've been doing the Covenant House sleep out. And to watch and listen to the stories of people that benefit from the support of donors, whether it's Sleep Out or other initiatives, to understand we've, we've all got a narrative that landed us in a position. And sometimes, you know, there, there's something to be said. And I admire all of them for the courage and humility to ask for help. So both of those organizations are doing phenomenal work and love to support them every single year.
It's amazing. Random fact, early 2000s, I went to university. I, I studied things mm. in this world. And I studied child and youth care and spent a year at Canuck Place thinking that was what I was going to do for my life. So I can vouch someone who spent a year there. Incredible, incredible organization providing life and life to the fullest before someone passes on, both to siblings, to parents, and, uh, and the child. So... Yeah. Okay, I'm, I'm going to flip rapid question, yeah, uh, yeah. rapid fire question on yeah. you on this because you just said that. Yeah. And because it's so hard to be the interviewee, not the interviewer. Sure. Yeah. What was the best thing that you learned from Canuck Place that shifted your perspective of how you oh. show up today now? There would be a child there with parents and, and, and nurses, like, like well-paid nurses and well-paid doctors. And this child really could do nothing physically, really. Like, it, 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 for lack of a better term, and all due respect, but it was, it was flesh, it was bones, and it was cartilage, and it was, but it was a heartbeat. But they were, uh, they would often get diseases and, and uh, situations that were, you know, they didn't know what to do, right? And this was end of stage life. And so, but they, they would put them in this amazing, like, multi-sensory room. They would give them the best of end of life care. They would make them mm. as comfortable as possible. And I think there was this philosophy that no matter how how you came out physically, mentally, emotionally, you're a human. You deserve dignity. You deserve life. You deserve life and life to the fullest as much as we can give you. And it was beautiful, that philosophy. And they always had amazing fresh cookies every day. The kitchen was amazing for that. But I love that. I love that way of thinking of no matter who you look at and, and what situation they're in, they're an amazing person and, and soul. Yeah, and I think yeah, like you said, you could, we're all that. about efficiency and none of them were efficient. It was very inefficient. And some of these parents, like, you know, the, when you talk about hospice care, it was like, man, the parents are getting nothing from this. You would think, you know, from an efficiency standpoint, it, it was the opposite of efficiency. So I think I, I do miss those days because it was just like, let's just slow down and sit with our child who we don't know how many days we have left with them. And, and I'm not getting nothing from this, but yet they, it meant everything to them. And Canuck Place facilitated that. It's beautiful. It's beautiful, man. Thanks for sharing that. And yeah, on so many levels, it's the dignity, the humanity, great reminders for all of us to appreciate it all. Jumping over to movies. Um, What is a movie that you just love? You can watch over and over and over again. Magic Mike. I like the Magic Mike movies. Perfect. That's great. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Um, We we actually, this is a fun fact. Because my wife's connected to the entertainment business, people are going to be like, Magic Mike? Really? Just go with it. We we had invested in a a show in Las Vegas, Magic Mike Live. And HBO Max came out with a show called Finding Magic Mike that came out, I think, at the end of last year. So it deviated from the movie. But, you know, you mentioned masculinity in this chat. This was a reality show. I think it was seven episodes where they found guys all across the country that had lost their mojo. And it brought them into, you know, reality-based challenges where they would have to dance and step out of their comfort zone. And they felt good about themselves again. And I thought, you know, I'm a 90s hip-hop R&B guy, so yeah. I love the soundtrack on the movie. Yeah. And I thought it was just fun. It's great. So when I saw the live show in Vegas, I saw the reality show. I liked what it represented. And it's just like owning, owning your space, having yeah. fun with it, celebrating each other in yeah. positive ways. And yeah, man, I'm going to go with Magic Mike on this one. Love it. What is your favorite song or album on repeat right now? Oh, on repeat. Okay, I'm kind of lazy with this because I just go on Spotify and Daily Mix. But if I go favorite song of all time, uh, Genuine uh, Pony. And that is featured in Magic Mike. So maybe that's the connection of why it lands on the favorite movie. Perfect. We got one last question here. What is the most important thing you've ever changed your mind about? Oh, that's a big one. You know what? 
I think the biggest thing I've changed my mind about, maybe it was in this past year, is about my parents. And my parents came to Canada in the early 70s from East Africa. They hustled so hard to create a live, lives for myself and my older brother. And when I got into broadcasting, they would always say to me, okay, when are you going to get a real job? My dad especially, when are you going to get your MBA? Because he never saw it as a real career path. And in the last three years, having lost both mom and dad and spending this summer, you know, this is why reflective was the word for me. You discover a lot about people when they're gone and having to go through 40 years of your existence in our parents' house. And we just gave away the key to our parents' house. I would find things about them that allowed me to understand them on a deeper level. And I think the biggest thing I've changed my mind about is that it wasn't that they wanted to get in our way. It's that they wanted to make sure we were going to be okay. And I have such a respect and appreciation for what they've done for us that I didn't before. Because when you're in go mode, when you're in efficient mode, you just think, why don't you just see it the way I see it? And I missed out on that opportunity with them to just appreciate. And maybe now that I'm a parent, I look at it differently. But I appreciate so much more what they did for us, why they were doing it. They just didn't understand it. And that's okay. They loved us. They wanted to make sure we were okay with it. So I think this year has been such a powerful, powerful teacher on what parents do for their kids and understanding those sacrifices that I've had a huge shift in perspective on that. And maybe that's why that, that you know, that took me a moment of so many things have changed in life, but just a, a new sense of appreciation to what they gave us and how we can, you know, live our own best lives now. So mom and dad, in our hearts always, we'll carry their legacy on. Amazing. Now this is Riaz, also encouraging anyone who has a parent alive right now. While listening to the show, you can be texting, you can send them a message, maybe even call them after the show. Whether it's a guardian or a mentor in your life, a parent that had an uh, impact on you. So, uh, Riaz, thank you for Absolutely. that. Absolutely. And where yeah, can people man. find you after this? Where can they uh, learn more about you? Where can they get your book? Tell us about that. Yeah, thanks so much. Uh, Riazmegji.com. I'm sure you'll spell it out on the blog and everything. Yep. Everything to do with the book, the blog, ideas on human connection, it's all there. And if this message resonates with you, if there's if there's a moment that stands out, please email me. I, uh, I love connecting with the audience. And if there was something of great value in this chat for you, definitely let me know, let Darian know. It's It's been a great space, a great chat, man. Thanks, Thanks for doing this. Awesome. Thanks for coming on. Every conversation counts. You can pick it up from your local bookstore, The Five Habits of Human Connection that Build Extraordinary Relationships in Your Agency, on Your Team, for Your Brand. Pick it up today. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today, Riaz. Darren, love you, brother. Thanks, dude. All right. We'll see everyone next time on the show. Thanks for listening to Marketing News Canada. For more episodes and other great stories from Canadian marketers, visit marketingnewscanada.com. All episodes are recorded in the Jelly Marketing Studio, thanks to our producer, Chris Penner, and editors, Travis Jeffers and The Podfather. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.